Hi, I'm David Rothkopf, the CEO of the DSR Network and host of the Deep State Radio podcast. Here at DSR, we have always believed that in a world as complex, fast-moving, and full of risks as ours, we all need access to the best minds. That is why we have created the leading network for expert podcasts on the issues of the day you care about. We go in-depth on politics, the law, national security, foreign policy, intelligence, defense, climate, and new technologies with regular and special guests that are the leading voices in their fields. We also offer daily updates on global news, our DSR Daily, and on a key story of the day through our partnership with the New Republic. That is why over a million times a month, people like you choose to spend time with our hosts and guests. Membership is what supports this, and members get special benefits, including bonus content in virtually all of our podcasts. It's a big deal, and it's a good deal. Our monthly membership price is going to go up for the first time in our history on March 1st. So now is the time you can lock in our founder's rate of just $5 a month. To do so, go to the dsrnetwork.com and click on membership. It's that easy, but don't delay. Today's rates will only be available for a few more weeks. Join us, support us. Go to the dsrnetwork.com right now. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the podcast. This is the DSR Daily in which we look at the news, provide some analysis. I'm David Rothkopf, one of your co-hosts, joined by your other two co-hosts, Chris Cottmore. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing well. And Riley Fessler. How are you doing, Riley? Pretty well. Top story, Chris? Uh, the Supreme Court has agreed to consider uh, President Trump's, former President Trump's claim that he is immune from prosecution for actions taken while in office. Um, the kicker here is the uh, hearing or the appeal is set to be heard by the Supreme Court the week of April 22nd, um, which, in my opinion, and perhaps you have a different view, um, it all but assures. Uh, that we are going to see uh, pretty much a Trump-Biden uh, campaign um, into the fall because it doesn't seem like even, you know, if a favorable ruling occurs that there, there's going to be enough time to prosecute these cases. Um, I know we're looking to, uh, to do a special episode later today um, on the subject, and I'm really curious to hear, you know, what specifically this might mean for for the cases that are pending against him in this space uh you know there's no limit to the amount of anger and frustration i feel with regard to this decision um had the supreme court been interested in expediting this they could have heard the case in december when jack smith first asked that they hear the case uh they could have uh simply accepted the judgment of the court of appeals um, which was uh, very clear, bipartisan, um, and uh, uh, made uh, um, uh, you know uh, the case uh, as strongly as it could conceivably be made. 
um, uh, and they didn't. Uh, they could have expedited this, and they didn't. So quite apart from the merits of them taking a case that is arguing something that's quite absurd, um, the, the reality is that some number of these justices, justices on the right, have decided that they're going to interfere with the election by postponing this case until April 22nd, which makes a decision prior to May unlikely, prior to the end of June unlikely in the eyes of some experts like Judge Ludwig. Um, and then you do the math. If it ends, it, if the ca- if case is decided and they say he doesn't have immunity, which it, it's him, if they say he does have immunity, we've got another set of problems because that's just nowhere in the Constitution. But if they say he, he doesn't have immunity, then, you know, it's it's July 1. You take a few days for the paperwork to come down. And then Judge, Chuch- Judge Chutkin starts her 88-day clock, and her 88-day clock runs July, August, end of September. So you're in October, assuming there's no other delays. And then she says the case takes 90 days to prosecute. Um, so, I mean, you know, to, to, to run its course. So that's October, November, December, November, December, January, something like that. And, you know, the reality is, uh, uh, that there are other ways this case can be delayed and surely Trump will attempt to delay them. Um, and, uh, his game is clear. He wants this to be punted until after the election. So if he wins and he controls the Justice Department, he can shut it down. He can shut down the Mar-a-Lago case. Um, and he can get away with some of the most serious crimes we've ever seen committed by a U.S. official. Um, uh, it, 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 it's political. It's reckless. It's contra-constitutional. It's bad law. Um, it's just a terrible decision um, and uh, should not be minimized. Uh, because if Trump wins, uh, because he does not you know, get held accountable, because these cases do not provide the American people with the insights into what he did in office prior to the election, um, this is going to be more consequential and uh, and potentially more dangerous ultimately to the future of democracy than uh, you know Bush v Gore was or any of the other cases that have gained notoriety in recent years for being so um, politically charged and biased. Um, and if you thought that was a long rant, Chris, I'm restraining myself. Um, Riley. Well, the other big story from yesterday is that Mitch McConnell will be stepping down from his leadership role following the November elections. Uh, and he really cited his diver- kind of parting of ways ideologically with the party, especially on national security matters. Uh, as we know, Ukraine aid has kind of been a big sticking point for him. He's actually been a big champion of it, whereas his party has definitely become more radical in opposing it, as we've seen and talked about in this show multiple times. But, uh, you know, I, I didn't think I would feel so conflicted uh, about Mitch McConnell leaving. I'm happy because I don't care for him. But also, I am really nervous about what's coming next. We kind of saw the same thing with Kevin McCarthy leaving, where we were very excited he left, and then somebody even worse kind of took control. So I'm, I'm, I'm nervous for what's going to come next. Uh, he is 
staying to fulfill the entirety of his term until 2027. So this is not the last we've seen of McConnell, but definitely uh, kind of an ill omen, I think, unfortunately. No question. This story is clearly connected to the first. You know, McConnell has no legislative legacy. His primary legacy is that he jammed uh, uh, the Supreme Court full of the kind of justices that the far right wanted to see first by, um, in an unprecedented move, blocking the nomination of Merrick Garland for over a year, and then uh, with the equally unprecedented move, um, a, jamming through the approval of Amy Coney Barrett in days, um, uh, showing that there is no principle underlying this. It was just a power play for the court. Now we see why that was so important, although we've seen it with the end of Roe v. Wade. We've seen it on gun issues. We will see it later this year on the Chevron case. Um, uh, uh, Nobody should shed a tear for the departure of Mitch McConnell. He was a bad dude who did bad things. Um, uh, you, You also might note he was the one who effectively blocked Trump Uh, from getting convicted after January 6th, uh, punting it to the courts, which he had already perverted. Uh, Want a good discussion on this? Listen to Greg Sargent and Norm Ornstein on the Daily Blast, uh, our joint uh, project with the New Republic. Uh, I can't think of anybody uh, who is uh, better equipped to discuss it than Norm, although you might want to go and read what Dahlia Lithwick ends up writing about it, too, because... She's brilliant. Chris? Uh, there's grim reporting coming out of Gaza in which uh, 100, at least 104 people were killed and 760 injured uh, while gathering around food aid trucks. Um, Israel defense troops apparently opened fire, uh, opened fired on the, on the uh, crowd. Um, Numbers have not yet been verified, and this story is breaking as we record this. Um, so we'll, I'm sure, have more details for you uh, tomorrow. Separately, uh, the death count in Gaza has has gone over 30,000 people, um, which is about 1.3% of the 2.3 million population in Gaza. Um not really sure what else needs to be pointed out here, but this, you know, continues to get grimmer as we uh, maintain hope that a ceasefire uh, is is on the offing um, soon. This is horrific, as one commentator on television sh- said shortly after it happened. This is the intersection of the humanitarian crisis with the fighting. Uh, the Israelis first responded to this saying, oh, this was Palestinians rioting for food. Um, uh, we didn't, you know, that wasn't really our fault. Um, of course, you know, you ask, why are they rioting for food? Uh, and you know that humanitarian supplies have been impeded in their flows to Gaza by the Israelis, and the Israeli war in Gaza is the source of this starvation. It didn't exist before. Um, and so um, uh, that was a bad look, but the Israelis have now come to acknowledge that they actually did open fire on these people. Um, you know, I, I, like anybody else, would hope 
that a hostage deal and a brief ceasefire would slow this uh, pain and 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 create an opening to end the pain. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, uh, Netanyahu's promised that he's going to go on with the attack of Rafa, whether the ceasefire happens or not. Uh, that this war is going to continue. His day after plan is complete nonsense. Uh, I talk about some of this in a column I've got up at the Daily Beast right now, uh, and why anybody who's hoping for this pain to end soon is going to be disappointed, tragic though that may be. Riley. Well, pro-Russian officials in Moldova's breakaway region of Transnistria have appealed to Russia for protection amid rising tensions and kind of fears that this is going to be a new new focal point in the conflict between Russia and Ukraine. Uh, so this comes as Transnistria, which is a territory with a significant Russian-speaking population and a history of relying on Moscow for support, uh, say they are facing an economic war from Moldova, um, which the Moldovan government has denied. Um, the United States and Moldova have kind of reaffirmed their support for their sovereignty over Transnistria, but there's definitely fears in Ukraine that this is going to open up kind of a new front in the conflict. Uh, Transnistria has, of course, shares a border with Ukraine, so there is certainly fears that this is going to be a new uh, new front and that it will kind of, once again, change the dynamics of the conflict for Ukraine. Mold the Moldovan government, on the other hand, has said that this is kind of mostly bluster, um, and it's kind of tried to tamp down those fears, but nonetheless, it's something to keep an eye on. Yeah, it's, I mean, this is clearly Russian provocation. It's clearly, you know, this was an issue before uh, the escalation of the war in Ukraine a couple of years ago. It continues to be an area where Russia is wants to manifest its desire to expand effectively, uh, its empire and influence further into Europe. Um, and, uh, you know, as, as they have done in other cases before, they try to make it look legitimate by stirring up some discontent and saying, you know, there are people there who want us to come in. Of course, the government doesn't. And uh, uh, the uh, Europe does not. Uh, and there's no grounds for Russia to, quote, come in. Uh, it's a serious issue. Um, I think we've got a story, Chris or Riley. Do you have a story about uh, Putin's state of the state speech? Uh, yeah. So um, Putin issued a warning to Western countries against sending troops to Ukraine, emphasizing the real risk of nuclear conflict and asserting Russia's capability to target the West with its weapons. Uh, this came in, as you indicated, a parliamentary address, address where Putin accused the West of attempting to weaken Russia and underscored the dangers of meddling in what he views as Russia's internal affairs. Um, wow. Uh, I guess we're, where we're at here is um, we're threatening nuclear weapons. We Every other week... Uh, somebody's getting impeached. Uh, we can't fund Ukraine. Um, we have uh, a candidate who has been indicted, convicted um, of multiple crimes, 
Um, but yeah, what a great world we're in. And, and so you, you can uh, forgive me for reporting from time to time on Lego builders. I, oh my God, I can't believe you brought that up. Um, yes, of course you are forgiven. And also I know you're going to the dentist. That's not something to look forward to. I got an email from one of our, our friends here from the pod, uh, our, from one of our pods, um, this morning that was, had the same tone as you. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. What do we have to look forward to? Well, here in the United States, we do have something to look forward to. Daylight savings time starts on Sunday. Longer days, more hours of light. That's a positive, right? I Less mean, sleep. Okay. There's always somebody like that in every crowd. Riley? Not quite a palate cleanser story, but definitely a change of a pace as the FDA has reported problems at Elon Musk's Neuralink testing facility. Um, oh, you so, mean the place where they're trying to implant little chips in people's brains <laughs> so that Elon can control his zombie army. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is one of those things where if somebody's planning something in my brain, I definitely want them <laughs> to have proper testing, uh, but it seems like they haven't. Um, so this is at their California plant. Um, the inspections uh, discovered issues with record keeping and quality controls uh, during the animal animal testing phase it's especially troubling because they've already been approved to move on to the human trials Um, and it seems like this would have been good to know ahead of that and that they maybe should have done more testing before um but yeah i mean you know my humble opinion if you put one of these in your head you're an idiot especially at this at this phase but you know this phase you want to give, let Elon Musk have a company that installs chips in people's brains? You think that could ever be a good idea? <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely, <laughs> definitely not. No, it's, it's a horrible idea. And, and, you know, I'm not saying, you know, we shouldn't explore, you know, um, uh, you know, new ways to connect with the brain, deal with brain issues. There have been some great breakthroughs that have been made. Um, using uh, implants in the brain to help deal with um, paralysis, you know, quadriplegia, um, other issues, uh, blindness, and, uh, you know, hopefully those will continue. But I draw the line at Elon Musk putting a chip in my brain. I just, I don't want him to do it. I don't want Mark Zuckerberg to do it. I don't want Peter Thiel to do it. I, you know, I, 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 I need a different kind of corporate profile before I start accepting those uh, brain chips. Um, uh, and, and Chris, I don't think we should experiment on Riley. Um, no, I would suggest not. Yeah, it's just not. He doesn't need it, first of all. His brain is it's just filling up his whole cranial cavity, like to the absolute limit. Um, Anyway, uh, another day, another series of very grim stories. Uh, we will try to provide some insight into them. As I said, for more on the McConnell story, go to the Daily Blast. We will have something out later today on the Supreme Court story. Uh, we discussed a bunch of these foreign policy stories, Ukraine and Israel, on yesterday's Mothership podcast. Um, and uh, uh, 
you know, we'll 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 keep it coming. And it's, uh, I know it sounds, Chris. I I bet if I asked you what day it was, you'd say, oh, it's got to be Friday. It's not. It's Thursday. There's still another day left in the week. So we'll be back tomorrow. Until then, thanks very much. Bye-bye.